Welcome to Brain Health Matters, a show dedicated to helping you improve your health, master your mind, and boost your brain. Brain Health Matters is brought to you by The Musical Brain, book three in the Healthy Brain series. Enjoy the fun and easy practices in this book to improve your memory, sharpen focus, and master your mind with the healing power of music. Available on Amazon everywhere. I'm Kate Kunkel, author of Don't Let the Memories Fade and creator of Brain Health Matters, a series of courses, programs, and videos all designed to help you become healthier overall so you can enhance and protect your brain and prevent dementia. One of the biggest risk factors for developing dementia is trauma, and that can be a TBI, traumatic brain injury, a trauma from psychological abuse or PTSD from traumatic events, and even ancestral trauma, like we find in the families of Holocaust victims or wars. All of these forms of trauma can negatively impact every aspect of our lives. But today, we're going to talk about long term effects on our brains. So I've invited Kaylee Miracle to talk about this with us. Hi, Kaylee. Hi, I'm so glad to be here. I'm so excited to have you here, folks. Kaylee is a specialist in neuropsychology with an emphasis on trauma, TBIs, and anxiety. And Kaylee is going to help us understand how trauma can affect our lives and our brains. And we'll learn some techniques that she promotes to inspire lasting change and deep self-understanding. I'm so excited to be learning more about this, Kaylee. It's interesting that I kind of got into my trauma work, not just from personal and familial experiences, but also from the perspective of memory history. So ancestral trauma is huge in that and the history of wars is huge in that. What do you think is the biggest thing that holds people back from dealing with trauma? Trauma works on a couple of different levels and has a few mechanisms. So often we can conflate we can begin to conflate our traumas with our identities. So a happening is not a being, but we can make it so after a trauma just because we get wrapped up in it. And physiologically, psychologically, it's it's designed to work that way because the aim is to keep you safe in that moment. But when the moment passes and you're still left with that sensation and you're left with that experience, it's hard to process because you feel stuck. So it becomes like a part of who you are instead of just something that happened. Yeah. And when the happening becomes your being, you start to forget, well, who was I before this? And who can I be now after? Because you're not going to go before the trauma and, and magically become that person again. That's just not how that works. But after is a little bit of a different story because now you can't unknow what you know and you can't unsee what you saw. So why do you think though so many people resist even dealing with it? Why do you think that is? There's no support or space or room for it in everyday life unless you create it and unless you seek those spaces out. So it can be an immense challenge if you know, okay, something happened to me, but now I still have to be concerned about, you know, what I'm going to eat food and I've got to go to work and I've got to survive. Um, And to pause that, and create room for you to thrive or to to better understand yourself is a large investment of time and energy. And it's not that it has to be hard, but it definitely has to be tailored to you. And the space has to be created. 
And it's just not popular in the discourse. I mean, now increasingly so people pay attention to mental health and trauma, et cetera, but it's still commercialized. It's still, um, okay, well, how can I clean this up? How can I fix this so that I can go on with my life? And how can I, it's, it's almost, there's a harried feeling to it. And at that point, you're already harried all the time. So why would you add more to your plate? Uh, that makes a good sense. Because we know that for I'm going to go d- dive into some brain health issues here. We know that not dealing with with things adds extra stress on our physical bodies on our brains on on everything. So that then would make sense that if you've got trauma, any kind of trauma, it would do the same thing. Yeah, it's not it's just like a kind of stress, a form of stress. And it it's so deeply internalized that you stop noticing it because we, when we talk about trauma, we talk about, Oh, it lives in the body. Okay. Well, what does that mean? People who are fans of breath work, I'm a big fan of breath work. It's about the conscious pause. You're always breathing. That's always going to be the background noise. But if the trauma is your background noise and it's living in your body, you don't necessarily know how you're acting it out. You just know it as part of your existence. So in terms of staying engaged with your healing, with your processing, it's definitely a conscious choice for something that's working on an unconscious level. So if say somebody, we hear a lot about PTSD, and you know, I'm actually really concerned about people after this pandemic, Mm -hmm. so much trauma going on on so many levels, as people emerge from this, or while they're in it, how can how can we use what tools you have? What tools do you have to help people deal with this now? Because I'm I'm really concerned, Kaylee. I think that we are going to have a huge population of people who have all kinds of problems. What are you thinking? I agree with that, unfortunately, because again, we're doing the thing where we're harried and we're not stopping to process. Things are just, you know, oh, we're back to normal. Are we? <laughs> So the lack of processing is going to show up in a couple of different ways. And like with trauma living in the body, one of the things that you want to do is actually get into your body. So I always, always tell people to be somewhat consistent with their grounding practices. So whether that's, you know, looking around the room and engaging your five senses and and naming your five objects around you or doing some form of breath work, because that's one of the best things you can do for yourself in terms of the oxidative stress of trauma. You can remember to breathe so you can feed your cells and get back to yourself. And for people who are comfortable with it, I always recommend energy work like Reiki to keep them, you know, to to activate that parasympathetic nervous system so they're not so activated in the trauma. But there are many, many routes you can go, but grounding and breath work are like the simplest and the most direct and the quickest. Yeah, that, I think that's important, right? Because people, many people who've never had to really deal with much of this sort of thing before, all of a sudden are finding themselves in a, in a strange world. So I always like to share things that would be relatively easy for someone because also that can affect your ability to make decisions, right? When you're in that state of trauma, Ooh. How do you decide what to do? You're in a place of, of maybe panic. What would you suggest to someone who's feeling almost in panic stage? Because I know a lot of people here who are. What would you say to someone 
who's facing something like that now, how would you help them if they came to you? I always tell people to not go against their intuition, to arm themselves with as much information as necessary to feel like they've got some kind of (laughs) understanding and standing in the actual material. When you ignore your intuition, sometimes you're out of alignment and well, you're always out of alignment when you ignore your intuition, but it has consequences. And I think that's what leads to, okay, the guilt and the excessive panic and the long-term stress. And it's important for all of that to be acknowledged in the moment when you know something is going against your intuition, like it's okay to acknowledge that. Um, Sometimes we're in situations where it's harder to follow but it's okay to acknowledge that, okay, this is what is being said. And in order to tap in with that intuition, it is it would behoove you to take a breath, sort through your options, sort through your decisions. You wanna find the option C when you're being presented with A and B and they're not fitting. I just wrote a blog about that a couple of weeks ago on, on intuition, because we really, I think many people are kind of separated from that and feel that it may not really have anything to do with their brains, but it does, because all of that does reside in a part of the brain, right? We, we, it's there Absolutely. as well. So we have to trust that. I know that you work a lot with black women, particularly, obviously, because of the huge amounts of ancestral trauma. But I also believe that most women have something that could be classified as maybe ancestral gender trauma, because we as women and most of the folks who will be listening to this are women. It's like from witch hunts to whether we get to make choices about our bodies. How do you think that impacts our brain health or how we as women may have more likelihood of even developing dementia. Suppression, the suppression of women in general, the suppression of intuition that we're taught to do, the suppression of our power that we are taught to relinquish. We're taught to relinquish all of our power. Coming back to yourself in the moment matters not just for us, but it matters for our foremothers and it matters for our descendants. Spiritually, there's a belief in my tradition that we carry seven generations at a time, like very directly in ourselves. And you know that you resided within your grandmother at some point. You actually want to process those links. And it's hard sometimes when the truth is not being told. And it's hard sometimes when nobody's addressing what was going on. Like for instance, you may find yourself, you habitually sprinkle flour on the counter when you're, before you need your bread. You've never considered the logical reason, but you, you've seen it done. That's what you were taught. So you just do it. So when you're moving through your day, there's a lot of that going on. <laughs> you don't, you're not actually assessing and interrogating. So, and interrogating sounds like a little violent word, but you do want to, you do want to ask the question, okay, well, why do I do things? And is this currently serving me? Why did my mother do it this way? What was she, what was her context? Is that currently serving her? And will it serve my children? Will it serve the the people who come after me for me to do it this way? There are times I overcomplicate a task because I know that's what I was taught to do. But if I really sat there and I thought about it before I wanted to get to the end goal, I would be able to process and find another strategy. 
So I always really want to emphasize getting back in touch with yourself to find the other strategy. It's the option C again. (laughs) I love that because as you were saying that, I was thinking my mom sort of looked at the, what could possibly go wrong instead of like Mm. always looking at what was going right. She looked at what could possibly go wrong. And I have to admit that for much of my life, I'm much better now. But when I was younger, that was my go-to thing. What could possibly go wrong? And it was almost like by planting that seed, things did go wrong. That went wrong. (laughs) Yeah. And I wonder, you know, we've got that trauma, that, that system of beliefs. I wonder if that could also actually make us more predisposed to dementia. So, so we know that Alzheimer's has, uh, there's a genetic component, right? It's very small, but it's there. And whether we express it or not depends on epigenetics on above genetics, what, what we do with our bodies and, and how we treat our bodies. But I wonder now if that epigenetics also includes then our reactions to trauma our reactions to habits, maybe. Maybe that's Mm -hmm. also part of it that causes women, especially to be much more susceptible to dementia. Yeah, because we're that's us throwing our protective factors right out the window. (laughs) When we're not stopping to actually assess what's working and know that it's okay for things to work and be easy and for things to work and 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 not have to be the way we've seen it done. And for things to be different and like us to acknowledge that we're in a different context, we're not being accepting of all the things that are going right or all the things that could go right and all of the protection that we could be arming ourselves with through following our intuition and through finding ways that work for us, strategies that work for us. You, you kind of opened me up to a different way of thinking about this. And I hope that works for everybody who's watching this because I think we just got a whole new toolbox of things here that we can use to protect our brains. Thank you, Kaylee. That's, that's, you know, it's just a new perspective. And I've been doing this work for a long time now. And and I never really thought of it that way in terms of, of trusting intuition, number one, because I'm very much, you know, the body, mind, spirit, but I never really thought about the intuition and holding on to stuff. So I'm sure this is going to be very valuable for many people. And you also have a wonderful gift. Can you tell us a little bit about that for folks who are here watching us? Yeah. So I'm, I am so used to talking about it that I say like, I, it it started as a phrase option C before it became that webinar. So when I talk about finding if option A and option B are not working for you, you're, we're normally presented with choices. It might be nice for us to find an option C. And that's a way to really circumnavigate um, anxiety because anxiety, we never want to actually throw it out of the window. We want unwarranted anxiety and excessive anxiety to be handled. But anxiety is there to protect us. Anxiety is there to, to keep us safe. So I did this webinar option C, and that is my gift to you. And there are three anxiety protocols in there. So actual practices that you can do and learn really quickly and implement them in minutes. Oh, that's wonderful. I will put the link up in the um, show notes. And I cannot thank you enough, Kaylee. I always promise to keep this short so people can get the most out of it. Are there any closing thoughts you'd like to offer to people in terms of trauma and keeping their brains healthy? Yes. So what you were saying a few minutes ago made me think of our learned hypervigilance. And (laughs) that is 
trauma. That's a big factor in a lot of post-traumatic stress. That's a big factor in a lot of neurological diseases. Like as they develop, norm the precedent can be hypervigilant. So hypervigilant, you're looking for something to go wrong. <laughs> you're waiting for something to go wrong. So if you can really get grounded in a moment and set the container of your moment, and decide how you want that to function for you, whether that's, okay, this is, this is the moment, all I'm doing right now is breathing. I'm not doing anything else. I'm not thinking about what I need to do. I'm just breathing. And if you give yourself permission to have those containers at various moments in your day, it's very helpful with working on hypervigilance. Awesome, that is a beautiful tip. What's your website, Kaylee? It's keyleemiracle.com, K-E-Y-L-E-E, miracle. Dot com And yes, that is my real name. Well, you're a miracle for us because I think we just need folks like you to help us navigate this uh, strange and wondrous time. Thank you so much, Kate. You're very welcome. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Brain Health Matters. Be sure to subscribe with your favorite podcast service so that you can get all the latest episodes when they're released. 